0: Well, good morning, everybody. So glad to have you here today. Uh, My name is Trent, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Epic, if you're new with us. And we are in the middle of a series on the life of a man named David And David is a pretty famous Old Testament Bible character. He lived about 3,000 years ago. Uh, He went from being a shepherd to the second king of Israel, had this really amazing rags to riches story. And so we're trying to, to learn from David as we walk through this series. Now, you may not know a lot about David. You may not think you know a whole lot about David, but there's a chance you at least know something. About David, um, maybe all that you know is that some old artistic guy made a statue out of him in his birthday suit. So, like, there's the the PG version of the statue of David. Now, I'm thinking if someone's going to make a statue out of me, I don't want it to be in my birthday suit. You know, like, can you identify with that? I hope so. And I'm thinking maybe David was up in heaven going, come on, like, why couldn't you have, you know, made me there standing there with, with Goliath's sword, but my birthday suit, really? So if you know the statue of David, that's the David that we're talking about. If you know the story of David and Goliath, that's the same David that we're trying to learn from. And David got this amazing label from God. God called him a man after his own heart. The only person in the Bible called that. Amazing statement. And what we're trying to learn in this series is how did David develop a heart like that? And how can we develop hearts like his? I mean, I think we all, if you're a Christ follower, you want to have a heart that, that beats in sync with God's heart. And David had that. And so we're trying to learn from David how he developed that. And we're going to see that today in 2 Samuel chapter 6 is a place that we're going to start. And we're going to watch David fight through some Pretty rough emotions that he has in an interaction with God. He's confused, he's upset, he's not sure what to do, and he ties himself back to truth and he does the right thing as God guides him on this journey. And so we're going to watch David do that. Now, let me remind all of us of what's going on in David's life up to this point. So David, he was a shepherd, a teenager. He gets anointed as the second king of Israel. Um, He stays as a shepherd after that. And then a short time later, he goes off to battle um, to check in on his brothers. His brothers are fighting a, a battle against the Philistines and he goes to check in on them. That's where the David and Goliath story happens. He defeats Goliath. He goes from being a nobody in Israel to a somebody. Everybody in Israel knew his name after he defeated Goliath. Now, King Saul was very impressed with him, made him one of his commanders in his military. David started doing uh, that job with excellence, did a great job, and Saul got jealous. Saul's watching David's life, and he says, listen, they are go- th- all of the Israelites, they're going to want David to be their king, and I don't want that. So Saul, out of his jealousy, decided to try to kill him. He spent the rest of his life trying to kill David. David ran. And I'm sure David was wondering like, God, how does this fit into your plan? You know, you've anointed me to be the the second king and the, the king now is chasing me down, trying to kill me. So how does this fit into your overall plan? Well, Saul eventually died in battle and David was elected king of Judah which was a part of Israel, and then seven years later was elected king over all of Israel. Now, David had to wait about 22 years for God to fulfill that promise that he had made him. And I wonder for you, and I wonder for me, would we wait 22 years for God to fulfill a promise for us? David did that. David did that faithfully. He faithfully served God in that, in that time frame. And he had several opportunities to kill King Saul, and he wouldn't take those opportunities because he said, Listen, I'm not going to touch God's anointed man. That's the man that God put into office. I'm not messing with him. If God wants him out, God will take him out. And I think that's part of the reason why God called him a man after his own heart. He faithfully served and waited for God to put him in the place that God wanted him to be when God wanted him to be in that place. So that's one of the things I think that we can learn from David. Now, when David took office, uh, there were several things that he needed to address in the kingdom. Um, There were several things that King Saul had neglected. Now, one of the primary things that Saul had neglected was the proper way Worship God. Now, I've got a quick history lesson for you, so don't check out on me, all right? So, I'll try to make it fast. All right, so in that time frame, the proper way to worship God centered around what was called the tabernacle. Okay, so if you imagine a really big tent. So God told Moses, when Moses came to help uh, free the Israelites from 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians, God told Moses, I want you to build a tent that we're going to call the tabernacle. And that's the place that I want people to worship me. I want the Israelites to come and sacrifice before this tent. I want them to come and interact with me at this tent, and my presence will be in this tent. Kind of an amazing concept, the God of the universe, bigger than anything we could ever comprehend, saying, yeah, I'm going to live in a little tent. But that's what God said to the Israelites. Now, more specifically, God told Moses to build what was called the Ark of God. All right. Now the ark of God is not Noah's ark. Okay. So that happened a while ago. So the ark of God was something that, um, if you watch the Indiana Jones movies, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's the thing that God told Moses to build. And it was a, a, a holy piece of furniture that God asked Moses to build. If you can imagine like a, um, hope chest or a luggage case. It was probably around that size. It was made of a special wood. It was overlaid in gold inside and out. It had in it some supernatural things to remind God's people of God's supernatural Power. It had some rings on the side of it and poles that went with it that God asked Moses to, to build so that they could carry the ark. This was a special piece of furniture. And the reason it was so special was because that was the exact place that God told the Israelites he would reside in order to be with his people. So, again, for us, kind of a, a strange concept, but the Bible says that God's glory, God's Shekinah glory, rested on top of the Ark of the Covenant. So the big deal about the Ark was wherever the Ark went, God's presence went. It was a big deal to God, this Ark, and it should have been a big deal to all the Israelites. Now, prior to King Saul's reign, the Ark was taken from the Israelites in a battle against the Philistines. So the Philistines uh, defeated the Israelites. They took the Ark of God, kind of like a trophy, and they set it up in their temple. And they wanted to communicate to the Israelites that, hey, our gods are better than your God. And they found out quickly that that was a mistake. So there were some bad things that started happening to the Philistines and the Philistines said, uh, we gotta get rid of the Ark of God because apparently we are being punished for having this thing. So what they did was they put it on a new cart. They got a couple of cows. They, they, they got the cart hitched to the cows and they said, if these cows take this cart all the way back to Israel, imagine uh, you know, how complex that would be for these cows to lead themselves themselves all the way back to Israel. They said, if this happens, then we know their God is punishing us. And that's what happened. Those cows led the ark all the way back to the land of Israel. Now, imagine if you were an Israelite and you're out in your field working, plowing, shoveling, whatever, and, and you look up and you see this cart with the ark of God on it. I mean, what would you be thinking? It would be amazing. Like, what in the world? Like, this was stolen from us from the Philistines, and God brought it back for us. So they were overjoyed. They were so excited. Um, They got a little too excited. 70 of the Israelite men went up and looked in the ark, lifted up the lid, looked in the ark to see what was in there, and they died because of it. All right, so again, if we're Israelites, we're standing around watching that happening. What are you thinking? I'm thinking, I'm glad to have God's presence back, but I'm not touching that thing. I mean, that's scary. So what they did was they sent it on to another community. They said, well, we don't want it in our town, so let's send it on to Daytona. Like, you know, maybe they'll know what to do with it. I don't know. Maybe they'll die if they, they touch it. We don't know what's going on, but we're afraid to touch this thing. First Samuel chapter seven says, during that time, all of Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. So the ark wasn't in its rightful place, and all of Israel felt it. They had felt God's absence in their lives, and no one did anything about it until David came along. So David took office. He looked around and said, hey, we gotta fix this. The ark isn't where it should be. And so David uh, got 30,000 of his elite warriors. And he said, we're going to go get the ark and we're going to bring it back to Jerusalem. We're going to put it in the tabernacle where it's supposed to be. So they went to get the ark and they're all praising God and celebrating. I mean, God's going to be back to where God needs to be. Everything's going to be great in Israel. And on the journey, one of the oxen stumbled and the ark looked like it was going to fall over. So a guy named Uzzah reached out to stabilize the ark. He touched the side of it and he died instantly. So again, imagine if you were one of the warriors standing around watching this. What are you thinking? What in the world is going on? This, this piece of furniture is amazing. It's, it's so powerful. God is so powerful that you touch it and you die. Verse eight tells us that David got furious. He was so angry at God for killing Uzzah in that moment. And I'm I'm imagining him saying like, God, what are you doing? Uzzah was trying to protect the ark. It was gonna fall and be damaged and he stepped in to intervene and you killed him for it. Why did you do that? And verse seven tells us that the Lord's anger was aroused by Uzzah and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark. And again, David got furious. David got angry at God. And I had to pause in that part of reading the story and wonder, how many of us get angry at God? And just for curiosity and just looking for an honest response, how many of you would say you've been angry at God at some point in your life? Um, the rest of you are lying. <laughs> like, I, you're probably thinking, I'm not saying that in church. I'm not raising my hand. I'll end up like, who's So like... So I get it. I understand that you feel a little, you know, weird in church raising your hand around that one. But I think if we're all honest, I think we'll all say that at some point in our lives, we've probably been upset at God. We've been upset at something he's done or something he hasn't done or there's been a problem that we've had in our lives. And we've said, God, can you fix this problem? And he didn't do what we wanted him to do or when we wanted him to do it or whatever is going on in our world. Maybe a tragedy, maybe something's come along that like you weren't expecting and and we get mad at God. I mean, God's got all this power and he could, you know, at the, uh, the snap of a finger, do whatever we want him to do. And yet he doesn't always do that. And so there are moments that we get very upset with God. One of the things that I love about David and his relationship w- with God was how open he was with God. And when, when David felt uh, anger towards God, he let God know. And when he was super excited about what God was doing, he let God know that as well. So whatever David was feeling, he was telling God that. Psalms chapter 13 is a great example of that, a a moment when David was really struggling and questioning and wondering where God was, felt his absence, and he cries out to God in, in this moment of frustration. Just listen to some of these verses and see if you can identify with a little bit of what David was feeling. David said, oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? I think there's moments that we all feel that way. I think there's moments that we pray prayers like that, or we have thoughts like that. I mean, you may not use those words, but I'm pretty sure there are moments that you look at God and say, like, how long is it going to take you to respond? How long are you going to look the other way and let this thing happen in my life? So David continued, how long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Now, sometimes I think we feel that way. Sometimes we feel just like David, God, when are you gonna respond? When are you gonna do something? You see the situation I'm in. You see what I'm going through. When are you going to step in and interact and intervene on my behalf? And sometimes we are afraid to verbalize that to God. You know, we may think those thoughts, but there are moments where we're like, I don't wanna say that out loud, you know, just for fear God might start punishing me or something. And then some of us kind of take that a little bit further and we say, you know what, if that's how God's going to interact with me, well, I'm just going to give God the cold shoulder. I'm not going to talk to him. I'm going to ignore him. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm going to pull out a small group. I'm going to pull out a serving. You know, if God's not going to do what I want him to do, when I want him to do it, you know, I'm just going to distance myself from God. And maybe you're in that spot today. Maybe you've wrestled with with that, that whole silence from God and you deciding you're just going to be mad at him and stay silent as well. Maybe you haven't talked to God in years. There might be a few of you, you've been so angry, so mad at something that God did or something that God didn't do years ago, and you're just holding it against him, and you're not talking to him. I love what David says in the rest of that psalm, I'm glad he doesn't stop there. Verse five and verse six. After pouring out his frustrations to God, David says this, but, so all this, God, where are you? You've abandoned me. You're gonna forget about me forever. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice. Why? Because you have rescued me. So a moment ago, he was praying, saying, God, rescue me. And then he says, "Eh, you've already rescued me, so I'm going to rejoice about that. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. So David wasn't afraid to tell God how he felt, but he wasn't foolish enough to leave it there. He wasn't foolish enough to just vent to God and then stop. David always reminded himself that God could be trusted And God has a perfect plan, even when we don't understand what's going on in our lives. So I think that's another one of those reasons why David developed a heart like God's. He always tied himself back to God's truth. So how are you doing at that? How are you doing at managing your frustration with God? Are you the kind that gets angry at God and I'm just not going to tell God how I feel, I'm just going to be silent? Or are you angry at God and are you telling him, but you're not drawing yourself back to God's truth the way that, that David did? God wants us to be more like David. God wants us to pour out our hearts before him. God's not afraid of that. Like when those moments when we're angry, God's not bothered by that. He knows it. Guess what? He can read our thoughts. Like he knows how we feel. He wants us to talk to him about how we feel. And he always wants us to tie ourselves back to truth, not stop at just, God, this is how I feel. He wants us to tie ourselves back and say, God, I want to remind myself of your incredible love for me and your plan and that you have already rescued me. God wants us to learn to be a little bit more like David. Now, back into our story, not only was David mad, not only was he angry at God at this moment, he was confused and he was afraid. He didn't know what to do. He thought that he was doing the right thing by bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, its proper place. And now when God came along and uh, punished Uzzah the way that he did, he didn't know what to do. And so David did what the other Israelites did, and he sent it on to another town, and it stayed there. Now, our story picks up in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. It's told in two different places. In 1 Chronicles chapter 15, something happens between chapter 14 and chapter 15 that we aren't sure. Uh, Scripture isn't clear specifically what happens in that moment. Uh, Either God told David something that he needed to know, one of his counselors told David, or David was searching the scriptures, trying to figure out what was going on, and he stumbled upon something. Again, we're not exactly sure how David gets this information, but in 1 Chronicles chapter 15 verse 1, it says... "'David now built several buildings for himself "'in the city of David. "'He also prepared a place for the ark of God "'and set up a special tent for it. "'Then he commanded, "'No one except the Levites may carry the ark of God. "'The Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord "'and serve him forever.'" So somehow David discovered what he had done wrong. The thing that he had overlooked in his excitement to get the ark back to Jerusalem where it needed to be, he had overlooked what God had said in scripture about that. See, when God instructed Moses to build the ark, he said it needed to be carried, not put on a cart. So that was one thing that David had done wrong. God said, it's always gotta be carried wherever it goes, never on a cart. And it can only be carried by the Levites. Now, the Levites were a special group of people that were set aside by God to take care of the tabernacle and to carry the ark. They were the only ones who were ever allowed to carry the ark. And I think God set them aside in, um, in a special way. They were the only guys wearing Levi jeans, you know, I think it was cool. Everybody else was wearing those robes and, you know, they got to wear those really cool Levi jeans. Uh, sorry for the corny joke, but <laughs> the Le- they came from the tribe of Levi. Um, they were the Levites and God said, no one else may carry the ark but them. So when David remembered that or was reminded of that or rediscovered that, he commanded, no one else can carry the ark but the Levites. So the Levites went out, they got the ark, they carried it, to its proper place, and First Chronicles tells us that God was so pleased. God actually helped the Levites carry the ark back to its rightful place in Jerusalem, and all was well in Israel at that time. So that's the end of that story for us today, but we get into the application for us. Now, uh, some of you may be wondering like, so what's the point? Like, I don't get it. Like, why would God punish people for trying to do a good thing? Like, I'm just not so sure that, that I understand this and I don't understand how it applies to my life. Why would God care about who carries the ark? Why would God care about that? Well, here's the thing. God cares very much about those kinds of details, especially when God has given his instructions in Scripture already. He cares about us obeying the things that he's already told us to do. God had given David the information that he needed, and David just didn't take the time to discover what it was. But again, God cares very much about us doing what God has said in Scripture I think sometimes we do the same thing that that David did. In that moment, David's so excited to move the ark back to its rightful place, he didn't take the time to do his homework. And I think sometimes we do the same thing. We're so excited to serve God in some way, we go out and do it only later to find out, hey, maybe that's not what God wanted exactly. Maybe the way that we did that, um, God said something in scripture which would correct the way that we were trying to interact with God or please God in that moment. Uh, On so many topics and in so many areas, God has already spoken. God has written the Bible for us. So we've got this amazing book and it's a guide for our lives. And God has given us some very clear instructions in scripture for how he wants us to live. And sometimes we don't take the time necessary to discover that. We don't take the time necessary to look and figure out what has God already said on this specific subject. So as Christians, if you claim to be a Christ follower, if God has spoken on a subject in scripture that's clear, we should do that. Uh, We don't have the opportunity to say, well, I don't know that I wanna do that. If God has spoken clearly, and it's something that applies to us in our day and age then we should do that. If God has not spoken clearly, we should study scripture to discover what's the best principle here that God wants us to to live by. How does God want us to answer the situation that we're in? How does God want us to interact with the situation that we're specifically in if God hasn't been clear about it in scripture? Now, how are you doing at that? How are you doing at obeying what God has said in Scripture? How are you doing at op- applying what God has already written down? I mean, we've, we've got the Bible and it's full of instructions for his followers to live by. How are you doing at living by those instructions? Now, I realize that we are all at different places in our relationship with God. I realize that we all have different understandings of the Bible uh, some of you here today may not be in a relationship with God yet. Maybe you're exploring what that could look like, but, but maybe you haven't put your faith and trust in, in Jesus yet. And if that's you today, I've got some really good news for you. Okay, This is going to sound the weird, like the weirdest thing ever, especially come from a pastor, especially at church. Okay, But if you are not a Christ follower, what we're talking about today does not apply to you. Okay, You do not have to obey what God says in scripture. So you may just like sigh a big sigh of relief, like, whoa, that's awesome. I don't have to do that stuff. And the next time you're at work or at school and a Christian comes up and says, hey, you need to change your life, you just say back, hey, this bald pastor told me I don't have to. And when you say bald pastor, it adds to your credibility. I mean, like anything you say that has bald pastor in it just means that you're probably right about that, all right? So here's the reason why. You don't have to do what God says in scripture if you're not a Christ follower. You're not a Christ follower. The Bible was written primarily to help those who claim to be Christ followers know, to know how to live, how to live the way that God wants you to live. So uh, can you benefit from what the Bible says? Absolutely. You can benefit from all kinds of things that the Bible teaches in your life, but you are under no obligation to do what it says. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, God wants you to become one. That's the biggest thing that God wants for your life. He wrote the Bible so that you could understand his incredible love for you. And he wants you to know the great lengths that he went so that you can spend eternity in heaven with him. And if you don't know that, my encouragement to you is spend some time reading the Bible Spend some time reading so you can understand how much God loves you. I mean, it's just amazing. Such, such a profound reality. The creator of the universe allowed his son, Jesus, to die so you can live. That's amazing. That's amazing. He, and he wants to be in a relationship with you so much. Jesus said, I'll go. I'll, I'll die for them. I'll take their sin on my shoulders so that they can live. It's amazing. You only learn about that as we're reading scripture. And if you would like to learn more about that, I encourage you to read the book of John. The book of John is in the New Testament part of the Bible. Um, the Bible is actually broken into two parts. There's an the Old Testament part written before the life of Jesus and the New Testament part written after the life of Jesus. And in the New Testament part, there are four uh, uh, books called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I encourage you to spend time reading John. In John, you will see Jesus, God in the flesh. You will see God's incredible love for you. So again, if you're a person here this morning says, listen, I'm not a Christ follower, I encourage you, if you want to explore what it would look like for you to become a Christ follower, if you want to look at God's incredible love for you, read the book of John. And if you need a Bible, we've got Bibles at the back of each seating section. Grab a Bible, grab several Bibles, take them with you, uh, spend some time reading. If you want to download a Bible onto your smartphone, version, Y-O-U, version, is a great uh, version. You get a lot of Bible translations there that you can read through. Again, I would encourage you to spend some time doing that this week. Now, others of you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you aren't all that sure how you are doing at applying what the Bible says simply because you're not all that familiar with the Bible. Maybe you're new in your relationship with God. Maybe you haven't spent a whole lot of time in the Bible. So you're like, am I doing what God wants me to do? I'm not really sure. I just haven't spent a whole lot of time checking that out. And my encouragement for those in that place is to start learning the Bible. You'll be amazed at what you can learn in a relatively short amount of time if you will just commit to reading the Bible and and learning what it says. Now, a great way to start learning the Bible is to start reading the Bible. All right, now... I know that I sound like the master of the obvious right there with that, okay? But if we're going to learn what the Bible says, we actually have to read the Bible. Uh, One of the things that we make available each week for those who want to dig a little deeper in what we're studying on Sundays, those who want to have a little Bible reading plan to go along uh, with them throughout the week, is we make a spiritual growth challenge available to you. It's a one-page document that we put together. It's available at our Connection Center. You can download it from our website. And on it, there are the Bible passages that we've read through or Bible passages that we encourage you to read, Bible verses we encourage you to memorize, questions for you to process by yourself with other people as you're trying to dig a little deeper in the subject of What does it mean for me to apply what we're learning on Sundays? Again, I would encourage you to grab one of those. If if you need some place to start in the Bible, you're not sure where to start and you're a Christ follower, I encourage you to just pick up one of those and start reading. Again, you'll be amazed at what you can learn in a relatively short amount of time when you do that. That's how we develop hearts like God. It's by reading the Bible the way that David read the Bible. Now one of the things that we cannot say is, um, you know, I didn't know that. So I can't be held accountable for that. God didn't let David get away with that. And God won't let us get away with that. We can never stand before God and say, well, I didn't understand that that's what you wanted me to do. Like, I didn't know that. God wants us to know that as his followers He expects that we will read the instructions that he's given us, that we'll spend time becoming lifelong students of his word, that we'll read it and we'll apply it to our lives. Now, an extremely important thing to do when reading the Bible is to do what it says, Okay, so I know I'm just knocking you out with my spiritual wisdom this morning. I I know, like, I get it. Like, again, that just seems so uh, elementary. Um, But when God says something in scripture that applies to us today, we need to do that. So when we're reading and it says that we should forgive people who hurt us, guess what that means? We should forgive people who hurt us. When you're reading along and, and the Bible says, you should work as if God is your boss. When we go to work, guess what? We should work with excellence, knowing that God is our boss. We should look beyond our boss, whether you like your boss or hate your boss. We should look beyond our earthly boss and say, you know what? I work so hard because God is my boss. When the Bible says that husbands and wives should submit to each other out of their love for Christ, guess what? It means that we should love each other. At that depth, we should submit to each other and figure out how to make our relationship an amazing relationship that will draw people in and up to God. So if you're married, guess what? And if you're a Christ follower, guess what? You're not off the hook on that one. Are you loving your wife? Wives, are you loving your husbands? Are you mutually submitting to each other to make this relationship the best possible thing that it could be, so that people in the world look at your relationship and go, there's gotta be a God because of how you guys interact. It's amazing. So when God speaks in scripture, we're supposed to do what it says as Christ followers. That's how we develop a heart like David's, a heart that beats in sync with God's heart. And when we're reading scripture, here's something that will happen for all of us. When you're reading scripture, um, you will have questions. You'll stumble upon things, you go like, what does that mean? I like, have no idea what that means. I have no w- understanding of how to apply that to my life. So when that happens for all of us, what we should do is we should ask someone for help. We should just simply ask someone else for help. So if you're reading the, the Bible and you come across something that you're not sure what to do with, ask me. I would love to help you understand what God might mean in that moment. Uh, ask Tim Jones, our pastor of spiritual development. Ask Rich Carr, one of our elders. Ask Evan Shows, one of our, 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 our uh, worship leader here. Ask one of our ministry leaders. Ask someone who can help you get uh, an answer that's uh, it's sound in God's truth. Now, let me just be honest with you, okay? I am not Mr. Bible answer man, Okay. So if you think I can answer every question you have about the Bible, wrong, I can't. But I will help you find an answer that's based upon God's truth. And together we will learn what God wants us to know. So don't be afraid of your questions. When you have a question, ask. Let's read the Bible, let's ask our questions, and let's find answers that are, that are uh, sound in God's truth. Now, lastly, there are some of you here today that you've been in a relationship with God, you're fairly familiar with Scripture, you know what God says in Scripture, and maybe God has spoken to you about something. Maybe there's something that God has said, I want you to do this, or I want you to stop doing this. And maybe you're not being all that obedient. Maybe there's something that you know, that you just know. I bring it up and you go, I know it, that's it, that's the thing, that's my issue. My encouragement for you is to just choose to obey. Don't argue with God about it. Don't give him the silent treatment. Don't try to avoid him. Don't try to do other things going, well, maybe God will be happy with these other things that I'm doing, but he'll ignore this thing that I'm not doing. Just choose to obey what God has pointed out to you. Uh, One of the reasons that God rejected King Saul and sought David was because King Saul interacted with God that way. He said, "There's some things I'm not doing right. I just know it, but that's okay. I'll just praise God in other ways. I'll do other things to, to bring glory to God. Um, I'll try to be obedient over here, and God will overlook my disobedience." But Samuel came to him one day after he had done that, and he said this in First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22: "Saul, what is more important? What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices?" or your, your obedience to his voice. Listen, King Saul. I think Samuel's saying to all of us today who are hearing this, listen, Epic, listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. So obeying what God has already told us to do is way better than anything else that we could ever do. It's way better than sacrificing to God. Here's just a, a quick example of that. Sometimes I hear people say, uh, "You know, if I win the lottery, I'm gonna give millions of dollars to the church. And the question that I have in the back of my mind is are you obeying right now what God has asked you to do when it comes to giving? So let's not wait for this moment of sacrifice. Wow, God, I'm sacrificing all this for you. And God says, but are you doing what I've asked you to do? Because obedience is better than sacrifice. So we can't go along in life going, well, I'm gonna sacrifice to God and it'll make God happy. Obedience is what makes God happy. Obedience is the most important thing to our God. And that's how we develop hearts like David. When we stumble upon something in scripture that tells us we need to do something, we go, oh, I didn't realize that. Let me adjust my life to do what God is asking me to do. Now, as we close... What do you need to do today as a result of, of what we've studied in David's life? What is your action point? What, what's the one thing you need to work on? Maybe some of you need to admit to God that you've been so mad at him, you just haven't been talking to him in years, and maybe today you need to start that conversation again. Maybe you need to break the silence. Say, God, I'm angry. And then maybe you need to tie yourself back to God's truth. Do you need to start reading the book of John? Like maybe you you don't have a relationship with Christ. You don't understand God's incredible love for you. Maybe you just need to pick up a Bible on your way out today and just commit to spending time this week reading the book of John. Maybe others of you need to commit to reading the Bible on a daily basis. Like just, just carve a little bit of time out of your day to say, you know what, I'm gonna read the Bible. I'm just gonna commit. I'm gonna faithfully read the Bible and then maybe you need to add to that, I'm gonna do what it tells me to do. As I come across things that I see in scripture that say, hey, do this, I'm just gonna commit to doing it. When I come across something, I'm like, what in the world does that mean? Uh, I'm gonna talk to somebody. I'm gonna ask for help. I'm gonna get some help from somebody else. And maybe you're one of those people that God has already spoken. God has already said, this is the thing I want you to do. And maybe today's the day that you say, all right, God, I'm going to do it. I'm committing now. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. I'm going to stop running from you. I'm going to stop avoiding you. I'm going to stop trying to give sacrifices to you. I'm just going to obey you. So what do you need to do as a result of our exploration of David's life? So I'm going to pray. And then in a moment, our worship team is going to come out and they're going to guide us through a closing song. And I encourage as the song is being played and as you're, you're processing the words I encourage you to tell God, God, this is it. Pick the one thing, tell him, commit to him that you're gonna do that one thing that he's putting on your heart to do. So let's pray together. God, I love studying David's life. Uh, I love to, to learn more about him and what made him have a heart that stood out to you. stood out to you above all the other hearts that you were looking at, Lord. You looked at David's life and said, that's a guy. That's a guy that has a heart like mine. That's a guy that will keep developing a heart like mine. That's a guy, when I say do this, he will do that. Lord, you weren't looking for perfection. You're looking for people that would obey you. And when we mess up, we'll make it right by our obedience. So Lord, here we are today, and all of us are in different places in our relationship with you. Some people don't have a relationship with you yet, and God, you're just speaking to them saying, spend some time reading about my incredible love for you. Lord, I pray that they would dive in this week and read the book of John, and Lord, I pray that beyond that, they would understand how much you love them. And out of that reading, they'll put their faith and trust in you. Become a follower of yours. Lord, others of us need to commit to regular uh, Bible reading. We need to commit to applying what we're reading. We need to say, Lord, when I come across something, that I, whether I like it or not, I'm going to figure out how to apply it to my life. And Lord, there's even some of us here today that you have spoken to. You've said, this is it. This is the issue. Will you now obey me? God, we need to choose to obey you. So Lord, I pray for those people who know what that thing is, that they would just be obedient to you and your voice. So we need your strength. We need your courage to develop a heart like David's. Uh, Lord, as as we're going to continue to see in this study of David's life. David wasn't perfect, but he always tied himself back to your truth. May we be people like that, Lord. May we be people that always remind ourselves of your truth and your amazing love for us. Lord, you lead us, and we will follow. In Jesus' powerful name,
1: we pray this. Amen. Good morning, Epic. My, good morning. My name is Cody Anderson. I just have a few announcements before Trent comes out and gets us started on our message today. Well, we had 25 families referred for the giving tree this year. So I just want to say thank you for referring them. Um, and just give yourself a hand, for the, please, for that. Now, what you guys are going to see is starting next week, we're going to have a tree right out here when you walk in, and it's going to have cards on there with specific information about gifts to purchase for those families within our church and out in Flagler County in need. So um, what you'll see, you'll see a variety of gifts that we have, from toys to clothes to gift cards. The gift cards are for the parents. They know specifically uh, what the kids need. They'll be able to buy them for them. Uh, Also, um, for wrapping supplies. We want to make sure that we're giving wrapping supplies to go with the gift so the parents can wrap the gifts and give them to the children. Um, We are also uh, partnering with Alpha Pregnancy Center, which is a crisis pregnancy center here in Flagler County. So you'll be seeing some baby clothes, diapers, and wipes for any mothers that come into that facility during the holidays to help out with that. Um, Again, this year, we did it last year, had a great success. Uh, We're going to honor our local police officers with a bagel breakfast from Panera Bread. So, that's going to be a a few more items that you'll see on there. So, what you can do, um, you can grab a card next week when you see it or the following week, and you can purchase the gift, bring it back unwrapped, and we'll have a location where you can drop it off uh, as you walk in. And that'll be on November 30th and December, December 7th that you'll be able to bring those back and drop them off. So, again, I just want to say thank you. We bring this um, every year. We've been doing it for the past several years. And when we do it, you guys go above and beyond what we can ever imagine. I just say thank you for helping out the community and being an epic church within the community. Thank you for what you guys do. Now, after the service today, we're going to be having a meeting over in the teacher's lounge, and this is for um, our lunchtime mentor program. And what that means, we're looking for, uh, we partner with Buddy Taylor Middle School, and we're looking for adults that will take an hour uh, a week, every other week, to be able to meet with students that need a little extra encouragement. So if you're interested in doing that, um, we're going to have a meeting. It's right over in the teacher's lounge, right after service, and they'll be able to give you more information about that. And I encourage all of you guys to um, to be a part of that. That would be lovely. As you know, that my heart is for teens here in the community, and we need as many of you role models to be able to do that. Now, if you call Epic your home and you'd like to give back and partner with us with what we're doing in the community, there's two ways that you can do that. You can do that online at theepicchurch.com, or you can give on uh, in the giving boxes, which are directly behind you. Now, if you're new with Ep- here at Epic today, we're so happy you guys are here. If you could stop by the connection center on the way out, we'd love to personally meet you and answer any questions that you may have about Epic Church here. Now, uh, we're going to continue in our David series. Trent's going to be out in a moment, and uh, sit back, relax, and check out this video.